When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we get the inside take from actors, artists, and creators on their work, career, and the things they obsess about. I'm your host, Connie Guillermo. Chris Diamantopoulos has some mouth on him. A Broadway star and TV and movie actor, he's played a variety of roles, including Russ Hanneman, the bad boy billionaire on the HBO series Silicon Valley. But he's also a well-known voice actor who's brought to life a pretty wide cast of characters, including Steve Trevor for the animated Justice Society World War II and as the iconic Mickey Mouse for Disney. This month, he stars as very different kinds of bad guys in two projects coming to Netflix. The first is the art heist film Red Notice, which stars Gal Gadot, Ryan Reynolds, and Dwayne Johnson. He's also in True Story, a limited crime drama series starring Kevin Hart and Wesley Snipes. I talked with Demontopoulos about his many voices and laughed out loud as he did impressions of some of his favorite old-time stars, including reciting a very famous bit of dialogue by Danny Kaye in the movie The Courtchester. I only know one word in Greek Uh-oh. besides... Baklava, which is yes, us. Is that's that right? right? Yeah, that's right. Yes, us. It means, uh, you know, hello, hello, all, yes. or hello um, in the in the very, very polite way. Yeah. I, so I should mention the reason that I know at least just that word is that my daughter, who is studying to be an archaeologist, anthropologist, spent uh, nine months in Thessaloniki right before the start of the pandemic and then through the pandemic learning Greek because she's wow. a medieval Byzantine uh scholar oh my and god so- well so three so three things to say about that number one how do you have a daughter that's that i mean you you, you must have started very young yeah no, I'm, I'm, listen i'm saying this is i'm a father of three i've got three small children and i uh, my my bones are aching but you you really must have, i mean good for you that's phenomenal that's and then the second thing i'm going to say is you know if i wasn't an actor i would want to do what she does i was obsessed with medieval history byzantine history ancient Greek history, all the way up, up until the uh, signing of the Magna Carta. I, I, st- I stopped liking the way that the armor looked right after. Sort of, <laughs> <laughs> that's after, so after, funny. Yeah, no, but I was obsessed with that stuff. So that's so cool that she's doing that. Oh, yeah. Wow. She loves it. And she actually wants to move to Greece. She's at Cornell right now, but she wants to move to Greece. It's a phenomenal got, country. It's and a do her, country. you know, be, make that her base of operations and do wow. all the Byzantine stuff. And, uh, and you know, in Greece, you can't like you can't open up a renovation in your house without unearthing a lost <laughs> civilization. I mean, it's it's true. So it's Saloniki, that would be a great place for her to be. Um, my wife, well, I've been with for almost 20 years, she learned how to speak Greek in, in just a semester, and she speaks very well now. Yeah. yeah. Um, Laura wants to be based in Athens because she's been doing a project uh, at the Parthenon with her advisor. But um, wow. I will tell you, she was there during the pandemic, for which actually we're very grateful because mm-hmm. Greece shut down the country and Got very it. few people. That's right. Uh, died. And she adopted a one-eyed kitten off the street and bringing that cat back home, getting passport and the health check. That was like the trauma of our summer last year. Oh, but she did. <laughs> yeah. And, and and not only that, but the Greeks were like, why? Wait, yeah. You, you yeah. Want, you know, they yeah. were like, take 10. 
Yeah. <laughs> yes. The cats in that, it, it, it sounds like if she was near the Parthenon, she was near an area called Monastiraki, which is yeah. all these little intertwining streets that have all these little shops and all this stuff. And they're, they're, I want to make a cartoon called The Cats of Monastiraki. Because oh, I think that's fabulous. It, it's, 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 and, and just it, that in and of itself is the show anyway. I could talk to you about Greece all the time, but I could uh, too, actually. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. A lot of people in Techland, though, might know you from a role that you had on a series that was very popular in Techland called Silicon Valley. You played uh, Russ Hanneman, who was, what's a polite way of describing him? Will the you tell worst, me? The worst human being ever to walk the earth. <laughs> I would say that's the polite way of putting it. Yeah. And you, I, you, you mean this guy, right? Mr. Tres Comas. <laughs> yeah. Tres Comas. Yeah. I am super interested in what you thought of tech and Silicon Valley before you landed that role, and then who you might have based that character on, given that there is no shortage of obnoxious billionaires here in Techland. Admittedly, I, I didn't. I didn't give much thought to tech before that role. I mean, other than you know buying the latest iPhone or getting a nice television or whatever the hell it was that I was you know busy thinking about. Uh, in my 30s, but um, I'll tell you, I loved that show. That for the first season of that show, I look. I'm a huge Seinfeld fan, and um, I mean, Seinfeld keeps me company when I'm away on location. I, I put it on in the background, and uh, because I'm such a huge Seinfeld fan, I, I I'm reticent to watch a lot of other comedies because unless they pull me in immediately. I don't I, I, I measure everything against Seinfeld and it's my, my wife thinks I'm ridiculous for doing that. But I just Seinfeld to me was like the winner. Um, and it had been a long while since I had been uh, that engaged by a comedy and Silicon Valley was the one to do it. And, and funny enough, it's, you know, run by Alec Berg, um, who was, was Mr. Seinfeld. Right. Um, so there's clearly something connecting there. It was one of those situations where I, I got the material. It was a lot of material. It was like 14 pages of material. They, they, my agents called me the night before. I stayed up all night. I worked on the material. I went into the audition and the casting folks said, oh, gosh, you didn't get the updated material. We're changing the role. And I said, oh, no, no, no. I, I, I just worked on this. And they said, no, no, no. It's they don't want to see that. They, they've changed the character. And so I said, well, look, I worked on it. So let me just go in and do it. Do this. And, and I went in and I did the audition and I didn't hear anything. And, and I, because I loved the show so much, I called my agent he said, I think they're interested in John Bernthal, who's a terrific actor. He was a really good actor. But I don't think he's Russ Hanneman. And I was like, well, wait a minute. Did they offer it yet? He said, no, no, but they're, they're, they're having a conversation about it. So between that phone call and my driving home, I called the casting office and I said, look, I made a mistake. Let me try the new material again. And they said, well, we think we're down a road with someone. I said, well, let me just come back and give me, give me five minutes. So I went back. I did the material. And uh, a week later, I got a call saying they... Uh, they love you and they, they want to offer you the role. All right. So I got to ask you, what did you do the first time? Did you play him as a nice guy or something? You know, it's funny. What the role, the, the, the role wasn't as fleshed out. So I played him much more kind of neutral. I actually didn't add any of the brashness. I think I played him <laughs> really because I was a fan of the show and because TJ and Thomas and everything is so subdued, right? The humor is, is in the situation. The humor is in the banter. None of their stuff is, is larger than uh, none, none of the characters have any sort of, you know, massive bravado other than some of the stuff that TJ did, of course. But but in general, everything was really, really down to earth. And so naturally, I thought that that was the tempo they wanted. But when I looked at the new material and because I already had nothing to lose because they were going to offer it to someone else, I just kind of <laughs> decided to, like, open up my inner asshole and just, you know, really go for it. And what's really funny was when I showed up on set the first day, 
after I did my first scene, I saw all the guys, all the actors go over to, to the monitors where Mike Judge was and where Alec was. And I saw this hushed, what's he doing? It's all really big. You know, they were, they were all rather um, concerned that my energy was too big. And Mike absolutely loved how uncomfortable I made them feel. And he just wanted more and more and more and more. And so I just kept pushing more and more and more and more and making the character worse and worse and worse. Did you model him or pick up on no. any cues? Look, I was really helped. I would say 99% of the character was on the page. The writers for Silicon Valley are the best writers in the business. And so for me to say that I did some sort of fancy footwork as an actor, I mean, look, you're lucky enough once or twice in your career to show up where the script is just right. And you simply have to do the work of presenting those brilliantly written words. And this was one of those situations. I know that Mike and Alec had modeled him after uh, some, some billionaires that they knew in Silicon Valley. The thing that I found most fascinating was that they told me that all of the roots of the storylines, particularly for my character, were all true. I mean, that whole notion of him uh, uh, creating the voice, the lady that talked to his child and told him, you know, how, how to have, when to go to bed and when to wake up and all that. That was a true story that some tech billionaire had uh, uh, had sort of uh, uh, done a rework on his Sonos system so that he could get his son to listen to him. Well, as a tech reporter here in Silicon Valley, I am literally talking to you from Silicon Valley, actual, about five minutes from Apple headquarters. I would say that your portrayal of the Silicon Valley a-hole billionaire was actually quite modest. So <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's what Mike and Alec kept telling me. You know, I didn't. And then you asked me how things are sort of post. I, I really didn't realize what kind of a nerve he was going to hit, particularly with a, a certain sort of, you know, startup VC demographic. But uh, it's lovely to think that that the work that you do as an actor resonates somehow and entertains people. I mean, that's really the whole kit and caboodle of all this we're 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 all dead in an you know in, in the blink of an eye so we might as well have some fun i read some past interviews with you and i loved now i don't know if this stuff is true because i read it on the internet right. so you know take it with a grain of salt you did a reddit ama I don't know, five or six years ago. And you talked about how you are a fan of all things 007. You love old movie musicals and you still wish it was 1985. Yeah, Is those things true? are all, yeah, it's very true. Yeah, <laughs> oh man, no, I'm, I'm a child of the 80s. I was born in 75, so 85 was my, my heyday. Um, and what's funny is, I don't know if it's through osmosis or just because of what I'm allowing him to look at, listen to, and read. But my son, my 11-year-old, is a huge 80s nerd, uh, which is really funny for me to sort of revisit all that stuff. But yes, it's true. I, I grew up uh, loving Michael Curtiz films and, and wanting to be Errol Flynn and wanting to be Bing Crosby and mostly Danny Kaye. Oh, man, when I saw The Court Jester, the first time I saw Court Jester, it changed my life. I was nine years old. My dad brought home a video, and he said, when I was a little boy, there was a movie theater down the street from us, an outdoor theater in Athens, and they played this movie and I climbed the wall and sat up on the wall so that I could watch it. And he said, I've been waiting to show this to you. I didn't know how I was gonna show it to you. Now I, here it is on, on beta, it was on a beta tape. <laughs> That's so and great. He brought it home and I, I burnt out the tape. I watched it over and over and over and I could recite that movie from start to finish. Wait, so I have to ask you, because I am also a Danny Kaye fan. Oh. I would say Corchester is my se second favorite Danny Kaye. Just because of the chalice from the past, palace and the yeah. 
pestle with the vessel. The, the pellet with the poisons in the vessel with the pestle. The chalice from the palace is the brew. That is true. But there's been a change. They broke the chalice from the palace and replaced it with a flagon. A flagon with the figure of a dragon. Is the pellet with the poison in the vessel with the pestle? No. The pellet with the poisons in the flagon with the dragon. The vessel with the pestle has the brew. That is true. Yes, thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. That is absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Uh, okay, so now your first favorite is what? The Inspector General? No, Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Oh, the Secret Life. The pocket of the pocket of the pocket of. Oh, man. That's one of the greatest. And Virginia Mayo. I mean, just how incandescent is she? Oh, there's that great. Um, he plays the professor. Children, everybody scatter away to the chairs. When to the symphony you go, do you play not fast but slow? Do you hear the pizzicato sweet hello when you go? And the fiddles when they cry, and the fugles when they fry, and why? I'll tell you why. Because you don't go. Yeah, well, he's great at that. Yeah. Danny Kay, for those of you who are not nerdy fans and nerding out with me, yep. and Chris here, uh, <laughs> he does a whole lecture on how the orchestra plays. And he, he does, does a lot of the sounds in the instrument. He does. There is the trombone, and the tuba, and the oboe, and the yeah, he does, and he he was so facile with his um, with the way that he could do those tongue twister patter songs. And you know what's great is it was his wife that wrote all those patter songs, Sylvia Fine. Um, yeah, he, he had a very interesting career in he Hollywood, sure but we'll save that for another conversation. Let's save that for another time. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but uh, you were also inspired. I saw you mentioned Humphrey Bogart, Cary Grant, Danny Kaye, Errol Flynn. Um, you do a lot of voices. Sure. And, yeah. and I mentioned, I think at the start, or if I didn't mention it, I'll mention it. You've been the voice of recently Steve Trevor, who is a Marvel uh, hero from a DC, the, DC hero, yeah, from Wonder Woman, yeah. From Wonder Woman. You've also done Mickey Mouse, which is I, amazing. Yeah. It's that's that whole, um, well, hot dog. Um, I when they called me for Mickey Mouse, <laughs> I had just done the Three Stooges. It just so happened that they were. It was they were promoting that movie uh, that Tom Hanks was doing about Disney. And so they were showing all these documentaries about Walt and they showed him talking in this one documentary. And he sounded a lot like his voice. It was very similar to mine. He was talking about. And they asked him to do Mickey and he ignited his body and well, hot dog. And, and I, I saw what he did. And I was like, oh, I think I could do that. And so I called my agent and said, no, 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 let me add him. And I had a, uh, just a blast. I got to go to the old animation building. I had to re revoice. Uh, brave little Taylor, and 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 sure enough, here I am, more than ten years later, and I'm still playing Mickey Mouse. And and if you haven't seen them on Disney Plus, the Wonderful World of Mickey, it's just spectacular. But yeah, that that one I wear like a badge of honor. But but the animation has been a a really um, a terrific highlight in my life. Yeah. So when you're such a fan of old Hollywood and some iconic actors there, do you do you channel them in some of your work, or do you go into this? into the booth and say, I'm just going to create this character from scratch. Mickey, Mickey Mouse aside. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's a great question. No, I do. I, as a matter of fact, all and all of my references, <laughs> much to the chagrin of anybody from this century, are all are all, you know, 1930s, 40s, 50s and 60s references. So when I'm approaching any of particularly any of these animated characters, I try and find any kind of analog from uh, film from the golden age that I would have loved and I try and start there you know I think about something Claude Rains would have done or Basil Rathbone and and I and I you know sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but uh, the, the key to all of that is to if I can entertain myself and if I can stay uh, consistent and give um, new life using um, old inspiration it makes me very happy well I love hearing you mention these actors Claude Rains who is a very notable actor in Hollywood um, the sheriff or no, he wasn't the chef. He was oh, Prince he John. Was John, yes, he was. And you know, it's funny. It hit me like a ton of bricks. I was I was on a big uh, deep dive on 
Turner Classic Movies when the pandemic first hit. And I, I, I hadn't seen Casablanca in forever. And, and there he was, of course, just terrific role because he's is he is he a villain or is he a hero? Is he helping Bogey or, or not? And 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 it hit me. And I'm sure that this has hit other audience members. I'm not too bright. So this this it, things take me some time. But Christoph Waltz must have watched and dissected every Claude Rains movie out there. Because and not to say that 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 he's doing a Claude Rains impression. No, I mean Christoph's amazing and, and so original. But boy, oh boy, is he a great analog, wouldn't you say? He I is would. Our, he is our modern day Claude Rains. Well, I think of Casablanca, I think of Now Voyager. Yeah. I think of uh, Adventures of Robin Hood. Adventures yeah. of Robin Hood. Yeah. Holy. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. What's your old favorite old thirties, forties movie? Uh, I mean, look, I'm such a huge Adventures of Robin Hood fan, but I mean, listen. It's a Wonderful Life, Frank Capra. Uh, but then, and then I go, then I go to like the Philadelphia Story, and that's a perfect movie. <laughs> and it's also a great gateway movie for people that don't like old movies or that think that old movies aren't fun. That's a phenomenal. Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. That's a great movie. Jimmy Stewart movies. Um, yeah, I know. I love, I love Jimmy Stewart. And you know, the thing that I love about Jimmy Stewart is that the very thing that has seemed to elude me in my career, you know. My heroes were the ones that played themselves, you know, and I, I'm just not, I don't, it's not fun for me to play me. And so I've tried to make a career of playing anyone but me, uh, which keeps me engaged. And, you know, it could be fun, though, in this next chapter of my career to maybe do a, a series where I maybe tap in a little more to, to who I am. That could be interesting. I don't know. I, I love that you are referencing Jimmy Stewart, of course, in all of those movies that you mentioned. Is the is the classic everyman who yeah. just wants he believes in truth, justice. He's not afraid to go up against a machine, even though there's a personal cost to it, yeah. and represents the American hero, admittedly through the lens of Hollywood in the 30s, which was very white, and yeah. we don't need to go there, but. Um, just a very idealized version of what it meant to be an American and self-sacrifice and believing in things greater than yourself and willing to yeah. sacrifice. And that is, unfortunately, we live in a time where that is a rarity and kind of lost. Well, listen, I will say this. As the uh, resident Pollyanna of my household, it's not lost. We'll, uh, I have faith in humanity, and I think that a lot of these big swings, maybe some of them are misdirected, or maybe some of them overswing, or maybe who, who the hell knows, but I have faith. We got it. We just need to massage it a little bit, and we'll, I think we're going to get there. Um, I want to talk about two live action projects that you're involved in, one of which I got to see uh, last night, Red Notice, which is a film that's coming out on Netflix, yep. November 12th. And, and then there's a series that's also coming out on Netflix called True Story. In both of them, you play a villain, but they're very different yes, uh, thanks, villains. Thanks, thanks, yeah, thanks. So let's talk about, well, let's start with Red Notice, which stars Dwayne Johnson, Gal Shadow, Ryan Reynolds, and you play this bad guy. Uh, called Sotto Voce, which is Italian for whisper, but I don't know how you interpreted it. Yeah, well, you know, um, the character w originally written was uh, South American, and I didn't feel comfortable uh, playing a South American role. I, I figured there, there would be a, a thousand other actors that would be better suited to do that than I. Um, so I, I, I actually suggested that I make him Greek, since I speak Greek. And and we played with that for a little bit. Um, 
and uh, Ross and Marshall, Marshall Thurber, the director and writer, who's a, just a terrific collaborator and an excellent guy, he, he asked me, he said, look, I, I like the Greek angle, but what else have you got up your sleeve? And we, we crafted this really interesting backstory of this. I said, well, what if we make him of unknown European, like a sort of a, 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 a shadowy, ephemeral Baltic upbringing? We don't quite know where. And his dad was an arms dealer. And he had a, a collection of antique guns. And he told his son never to touch his guns, never to go into the, into the display room. And one day, as his dad's holding a party for all the big, big, big wigs in the underworld, there he sees, out of the corner of his eye, his son in his, in his prized room, touching his one prized possession. And his dad storms into the room and grabs his son by the neck and says, I told you never to touch my gun, and starts squeezing and squeezing. And in that moment, the gun goes off. And the son shoots the father, but not before the father had completely paralyzed his son's vocal cords. He destroyed his voice. So we came up with this really neat sort of new sound. And, and Rawson uh, came up with the moniker. He's like, we'll call him Sotto Voce. I was like, I love it. Let's do it. And so and then we came up with the idea of the trope was that for every. So that began his reign because then, of course, all the, the bosses, the other bosses saw that he had killed the, the main guy. So they made him the main guy. And that's when he popped up on Interpol and he began his reign as a crime lord. And uh, and each tattoo on his body represents another kill. Uh, oh, I had a ball. Very cool. Well, what was it like acting in this caper? Jewel thieves are involved. I'm not going to give away the plot, but why, why don't you tell our uh, listeners well, what this so story's it, about? It's a it's a it's a global heist action comedy, and it pairs Dwayne Johnson, Ryan Reynolds, and Gal as um, uh, not so willing partners, and they are on the hunt for Cleopatra's lost golden eggs. And I play uh, Soto Voce, a bad, bad, bad baddie, who actually is in possession of one of these eggs. He has a collection of many, many things. And the three of them are trying to outwit me and each other and steal my egg. And in uh, one of the sequences, I find myself in a torture room where I am torturing Ryan Reynolds and Dwayne Johnson. And, you know, if you've met Dwayne Johnson or seen him, he's, you know, his arms are as big as my guest house. So, you know, it was it was fun because I, you know, my character had him shackled, which was the only way that I could, you know, probably ever put the hurt on him. But we, we actually had a really great time. It was it was it was fun taking all of these um, familiar tropes and rolling them into a, a, a new version. And and what I love about this is it's kind of a return to good old fashioned 90s popcorn movie, you know. And, and, and that's that's really one of the reasons I was super excited to sign on. But to be perfectly frank, I really wanted to meet these three and I wanted to work with Rawson and I wanted to see what it was like. And I have to say, I was I was just delighted every step of the way. Um, not only are they, you know, movie star supernovas, but they're right. nice, normal people who happen to love their families and work was uh, an absolute joy. And again, I'm not going to give away any spoilers. It is a lot of fun. It's coming out on Netflix, as I said, on November 12th. Um, uh, there's an opportunity for you to return. I know that the plan for this is to turn it into a series, uh, this this caper and these characters. And so Soto Voce could return. I would love that. I would love nothing more. I mean, it'd be great if the next time we see him, he's lost another, you know, ability. You know, he, he, he was speaking in a whisper maybe next time. You know, when we last see Soto Voce, uh, something rather unfortunate happens to him. So it could be really interesting to see where, where he turns up again. I would, I've said this to Rawson before, and I'll, say it here so that he hears it. He just has to say, Chris, I've got a gig for you and I will show up because working <laughs> with him is the way that I always imagined working should be with a director, collaborative, 
uh, enjoyable. It's all about remembering that we were once 11 years old and let's make a fun, fun flick. Well, I wanted to contrast the role that you play there again as a villain with another villain, but I, I guess the way to describe it is just a grittier, seedier kind of villain in this true story series that stars Kevin Hart and Wesley Snipes. And so why don't you tell people a little bit sure. about that role? So this was during pandemic when I first heard about this. And the idea uh, from Eric Newman and Netflix was to create a Scorsese-esque take on a just this side of center version of a, a character similar to Kevin Hart coming up from the streets of Philly and becoming a huge comedian and movie star. And and then taking that story and adding some remarkable twists and turns that you just wouldn't see coming um, to create a thriller, uh, a bite-sized thriller, as it were, um, because the, the episodes aren't full-hour episodes, and it's just seven of them. And it's this, I think they've created a, a, a beautiful sort of new genre, a realistic and gritty world. Um, I think the revelation for me is the chemistry between Kevin and Wesley. And, and, and to be perfectly frank, again, being a, a fan of, of eras gone by and being a cinephile, watching Wesley Snipes perform, uh, both in person but then seeing the finished product. I mean, that guy's a movie star, man. He just understands the medium so well. And I have to say, I was so pleasantly surprised by what a pro Kevin Hart is. Um, just from top to bottom, he's the ambassador of a set. Uh, just, you know, great attitude, always on time, always knew what he was doing, and was fully engaged. And I think it shows in the end product. I mean, uh, my wife and I watched it in a day. And so I play Savas. I am the heavy of a small Greek mob family. Um, and I should say, side note, you know, I play villains in these two projects. And as much as, as an actor, I don't often have the control over what the project is or what the role is. Savas is the first time I've ever played Greek on television and really gotten to use my Greek. And it's also one of the first times I play uh, a character who's not very verbose and whose energy is, is quite diametrically opposed to mine. Really still um, sullen, sour, and uh, ultimately doesn't want to get involved in much uh, until he has to, at which point when he does, it's really not pretty for those around him. Um, he's a brutal um, monster of a person, really. Uh, and, oh, it was so much fun to be able to play <laughs> that character. This is really quite liberating um, because it's so far out of anything that I am, um, other than the Greek, of course. And it was fun. Eric kept saying, I want you to come up with, you know, fun ways in Greek to say blank or, you know, an expletive or something. And I just started remembering my childhood when my father was in the car and someone would cut him off. <laughs> uh, so, and, and I have to say to Netflix's credit, they um, subtitled it very, very accurately. All right, this, this uh, podcast is called I'm So Obsessed. So I need to ask you, Chris Diamantopoulos, what are you obsessed with? The pandemic has made me a bit of a home chef. I have a Traeger grill, a wood pellet grill, and I've been barbecuing a hell of a lot. So I'm obsessed with First Light Steak Club. I'm also obsessed with, recently I realized this, you know Aesop, the, uh, the, the cosmetic company, Aesop, you ever heard of them? They make like hand creams and lotions and they make this hand soap. This, it's called, the, I think it's called Reverence Aromatique. I don't know what the hell it is. It's got these little granules in it 
And if a hand soap can give you joy, <laughs> then they figured out how to do it. Because when I wash my hands with this thing, I take that, you know, you're supposed to wash your hands for 20 seconds and it's such a pain in the ass. Well, you know what? I wash for 22 seconds with this stuff. It <laughs> smells good. It feels like it's really clean. They've really turned to hand cleaning. It's, I, I got to hand it to them. So I'm, I'm obsessed with them. You know what I'm obsessed with? I've been obsessed with health during the pandemic because the notion of our mortality has been ever present. And I've been reading a lot of Marcus Aurelius. I've been reading meditations. I've been reading a lot of stoic philosophy. And I've been sort of thinking about, you know, how uh, we're actively decaying. And so I'm like, Jesus, I want to stay healthy while I'm here. And uh, there's this great uh, site called Goody Vibes, goodyvibes.com. And they've got these phenomenal food grade supplements to sort of help fill in any of the gaps where you might not be getting the stuff that really could sort of keep you on track. And um, it's uh, it's really been a terrific go-to for me. Like I don't like eating liver and organ meats and stuff like that, but allegedly that stuff is very, very good for you, very potent, very high in vitamins. And Goody Vibes has got such a great selection of that stuff and it's easy to take and it doesn't taste bad. And, and I feel like I'm doing, you know, doing the right thing by my body. And the added bonus is that Goody Vibes is run by my sister, Despina, and she's just a knockout. I see. So your goal is to die healthy. Gotcha. That's it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I want to go, I want to be super healthy until the day I drop dead. And then even, you know, if I were to just drop dead, then at least I drop dead. But I don't want to go, you know, quietly into the night. I, I want to just like, done. <laughs> CNET is a tech site, first and foremost, although we're, uh, we're evolving with everyone else. But what is your favorite piece of tech? My favorite piece of tech is my Apollo Twin preamp, my universal audio Apollo Twin preamp that I am talking to you actually right now with. It's a beautifully designed and uh, remarkably simple, easy to use preamp for a microphone. And actually, maybe this isn't such a, a bad idea to mention this because we are still in this post-pandemic time where people are on Zooms all the time. If you want to up your game in your studio, get yourself a quality mic and attach it to this Apollo Twin preamp and uh, and you will hear your voice and its mellifluous tones in a way like you've never heard before. Well, we're hearing it right now yeah. through your microphone. If you could ask Silicon Valley or any kind of tech pioneer to invent a piece of tech just for you, what would it be? Oh... It would be a teleportation device because there's so many places I want to go and I used to love traveling so much, but it's turned into such a slog that I don't enjoy traveling anymore. And I've got three kids, so it would be really wonderful if I could say, guys, let's go to Santorini. Come on, let's go. And we jump in our little pod and there we are. Oh, shit, I forgot the suntan lotion. I'll be right back. <laughs> okay. Uh, frivolous reason to teleport. Sunday no, 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 no. I figure if, if they're going to invent a teleporter, then that's what I should use it for. It's not frivolous. I got I, I to get my tan on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll give it to you. No judgment. No judgment. Thank you. Thank you. Well, uh, quite the career, as you mentioned, from Mickey Mouse, Three Stooges, to a Red Notice, True Story, and all of those animated series in between. Uh, I want to ask you just a few questions. Like, uh, Pandemic had cha has changed the world, and lots of us now are binge-watching, which is why Netflix has become so popular. I think there is a return, or I hope there's a return to movies. You've operated in lots of different entertainment settings. At this, you've been on uh, Broadway on the stage. You've done these voiceover works, which I imagine is in a quiet booth by yourself. You've been on these big budget and little budget projects. 
what do you think of the future of entertainment post-pandemic? We're not quite post-pandemic, but I'm hoping that there is a light at the end of this tunnel. Yeah, me too. And I think there is. Um, I mean, I have to say my hat's off to, to production worldwide during the pandemic as well. There was a, a brief moment where it, it shut down to sort of figure out how it was going to get back up and running. Uh, it wasn't shut down that long. You know, it might have been six months, I guess. I mean, the thing that was shocking to me was Broadway being shut down because I, I worked on Broadway for years and years and years. And eight shows a week is just a given. I mean, it's like you're doing eight shows a week. You're working on Christmas. It's just the fact that that shut down was just really, really sobering. I'm very, very hopeful. I, I, I think that the pandemic has shown us very, very clearly that there is no shortage of the desire for well thought out, well acted, well produced material on every level. I don't think that that means we're going to be plugged in and watching it in our, you know, cybergenic eyeballs, or maybe one day we will. But at, at this point, I, I think that story will always be king. And I think that as long as we have talented showrunners and screenwriters, then we're always going to have great material. On that happy note, uh, thank you very much, Christine Mentopoulos, for talking to us today for I'm So Obsessed, and look forward to seeing and hearing you in even more projects in the near future. What a pleasure, Connie. Thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks again to Chris Diamantopoulos for talking with me. And thank you for listening. We hope you'll take a moment to subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, be safe. <laughs>